Welcome to another episode of Unlocking California Politics. Today, we are here with two of California's top political experts to discuss this upcoming election. We have with us Josh Walters, who has served in many different capacities in the state legislature for Democratic leadership and has been at the helm of many campaigns over the years. Welcome, Josh. And, and I would also like to welcome Rob Stutzman, who is a political expert and a longtime Republican strategist who has also served as Deputy Chief of Staff for Governor Schwarzenegger. Welcome, Rob. Thank you. Now, every 10 years, California and the rest of the country must redraw its electoral lines at the federal, state, and local government in response to the census. This upcoming election on June 7th will be the first election with the newly redrawn lines. In addition to the newly redrawn lines, and perhaps in some cases the response to those lines, we are also seeing a great resignation take place in the state legislature. Over the past several months, there's been a historic number of resignations and announcements to not run for re-election in the state legislature. The result is about 40% of today's legislators will not be returning next year. On paper, at least, this all seems like it could result in dramatic change. There also seems to be a general disgruntlement, if you will, in the, in the electorate as a whole. Based on all these factors, let me first start with, why do you think we are having this great re resignation among our state legislators? Let's start with you, Josh. Oh, thanks for having me. So yeah, I mean, we have seen a number of folks just to say, hey, I don't wanna do this job anymore. And, and it is really interesting, right? And um, what we're seeing is not necessarily though that folks are leaving the political realm altogether. So a lot of them are, are leaving to take, you know, consulting or other type jobs in and around public affairs. So in some ways, it's just a shift of, of the type of role that they want to play or, you know, the piece of the cog, so to speak, that they're going to play. So, um, you know, being an elected official, I think during the COVID environment wasn't necessarily, you know, a lot of fun or as exciting. I mean, a lot of the things that may, you know, draw you to politics, I mean, necessarily going to be a people person, right? And you're put in an environment where you don't get to go out, you don't get to see other people, you don't get to participate in events. Um, you're essentially locked down and doing the job on Zoom. So I think that could be a factor. Um, and then, you know, at the same time, we're also seeing, you know, you said a lot of disgruntlement. I mean, people are not happy right now. They're not happy with government. Um, I know the number of polls I've seen, and I'm sure Rob's probably seen the same thing, is, is people are just generally mad. They're mad at everybody. They're mad at the Democratic Party. They're mad at the Republican Party. I mean, they are just mad. And so um, in an environment where often that anger is expressed at the elected officials that currently have it, you know, it might be a good time just to say, you know, hey, I'm going to step out of this role and let somebody else that wants to take it and figure out, you know, a different role for me to play in government affairs. So. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with everything Josh said. There, there's a there's a couple other dynamics as well. There's a there's a confluence that's happening, not just of the redistricting, which casts members sometimes into completely different seats or seats where they don't actually live. They have to move. So it's a very it can be very disrupting to state legislators. Uh, but there's also a big term limit hit uh, in the assembly that was going to happen uh, in 24. And you know, some of these resignations have been members that only have two more years to go. You know, it has to be a, a different the district may have changed on them a little bit. And then I don't think we can underscore enough, you know, Josh's point about just how hard this job has been for these legislators during COVID. Um, not just the distance, the isolation, the, the, the hearings, going to the telephonic 
hearings have make, become chaotic. Um, it's given access to people who otherwise, you know, would not be at, testifying in legislative hearings. It's made a lot of them dysfunctional. Uh, and I just think, I, I, I think tensions are high even amongst uh, legislators on the way all this has been handled, just like, just as it has been for almost anyone in their workplace over the last few years. So these are all contributing factors, but we're about to get, you know, a fr- you know, these next two cycles really kind of a fresh, two fresh classes in the legislature that will largely begin to define it here as we move through the rest of this decade. I mentioned previously that there's a number of factors in the air, if you will, that um, with an electorate that is very disgruntled. Do either of you see any challenges to the supermajority status of the Democratic Party in either the Senate or the Assembly? I'll start with you, Rob. Uh, I I do not. Uh, I think the Democrats have a a pretty good lock on that supermajority. Uh, the way these new, the newest uh, legislative maps, I think, will age over the decade, I think, continue to favor Democrats. Um, we are in an election cycle that's going to favor Republicans. And so you hear talk nationally of Republicans taking over the House and the Senate. Well, kind of the best that may mean here in California is Republicans maybe take a, a seat or two. Uh, from Democrats, but there's some Republicans in some very tough seats. They have to defend now because of redistricting. So I don't I don't see much changing. And I think our politics in California, at least legislatively, will continue to move towards this model of um, really more factions and caucuses and coalitions within the supermajority of Democrats that control the legislature. Thanks, Rob. How about you, Josh? I think Rob's exactly right here. I mean, I think the supermajority is essentially here to stay for the foreseeable future. And frankly, I think one of the reasons that is, is just because of, you know, partially to blame the redistricting process, right? And the way that that carries out. And that can be a conversation for another day. But um, yeah, I mean, I think we're locked in here. And so then the question is, is how do we figure out ways to operate in this environment and to build coalitions, you know, of folks in the different, you know, either houses of the legislature and such forth. So for example, I mean, I think the Senate tends to be thought of as a little bit more moderate place right now. And so I think folks from the business community are interested in trying to maintain that status in the Senate. And then the question is, is are we able to go into and build coalitions in the assembly as well, where we can have, you know, essentially a working house that, you know, can represent, you know, both, you know, business and labor, you know, interests and, and manage that right now. It just seems to be pretty much just labor feels represented, at least folks in the business community feel that way. And I don't think they're wrong to feel that way at all. Thanks. One of the, uh, uh, one of the issues we've seen within the Democratic Party, of course, is be- between this sort of split between the more moderate elements and what I guess you might want to call the Sanders or left uh, wing of the Democratic Party. How do you think that's going to play out in the next legislature? Uh, let's go to you, Josh. Well, I mean, I think folks in the business community, it's incumbent upon, you know, and certainly my clients and I work with, you know, the realtors are part of this too, is, you know, we need to come in and figure out, you know, how can we find folks in democratic districts that are Democrats and have core democratic values, but at the same time are willing to come to Sacramento 
and, you know, represent business interests too, and, you know, hear the other side of things and understand, you know, the employers, you know, have an important role to play in the employee employer relationship. Right. And so that's what we need to do. And I think there's an opportunity now with the so-called great resignation of 2022 and the term limits that Rob mentioned in 24 is to try and find those folks and, and work to get them elected. And so, and it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting year in that, you know, sometimes you'll look and in the Bay Area, you know, there's a, a young man that's running um, for assembly and the 20th assembly district. And, you know, and he's he's LGBTQ. Um, you know, he has experience working, you know, as a legislative staffer. But at the same time, he's considered the moderate candidate. And he's he's, you know, a fairly progressive individual. But at the same time, you know, in the Bay Area, this is somebody that's a little bit more middle of the road. He's a Navy reservist. Um, so has that military background as well. So can pick up some Republican votes. So it's about finding folks like that you know, that are willing to sit down and have conversations and relationships with business and trying to get them to run, right? And so, and that's just a challenge in and of itself is trying to find good quality people that want to come up and do the job in the first place. So um, it, that's a challenging part as well. Uh, Rob? It, well, it'll be interesting to see in this, in this election cycle um, how Democrats, particularly suburban Democrats, feel that the issues on criminal justice, crime, and homelessness affect uh, politics. And I think that will then affect, uh, could affect policy come next year. I mean, you're in a legislature now where a Democrat with law enforcement background, Assemblyman Jim Cooper, you know, is pushing for certain crimes to be considered violent crimes that most people would think, well, oh, that's a violent crime, raping someone when they're unconscious or domestic violence. But in fact, under California law, they're not considered violent crimes. Bill doesn't get out of committee, right? So and he goes off about it uh, publicly. So there's you know, that's a, an example where these Democrat tensions are, are showing and on homelessness and homeless policy, Democrat, moderate, uh, Mr. Assemblyman uh, Villa, uh, Villa de Plague had a bill that would allow housing money to go to nonprofits uh, that require sobriety of their clients, like the St. John's shelter here in Sacramento. And uh you know, progressive chair of the housing committee won't even give the bill a hearing. So these are the these are types of Democrat conflict that I've never seen in my, uh, hate to say, uh, now fourth decade um, <laughs> observing in, 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 numerically and watching this. So there we're in a little bit of new new territory with again that supermajority. The stress becomes between moderate and progressive Democrats. Um, progressives, I think, will maintain an upper hand, obviously, through this year. But it'll be interesting to see when you get a new crop up here and if it's a particularly punishing election cycle on these issues, if if some things might be different come uh, 2023. Well, and actually, if I can follow up on that, I mean, to Rob's point, I mean, this is the first election cycle. We've been on crime in a very progressive you know, shift, right? And now we're seeing where voters are are not so happy with candidates maybe that take a defund the police position, right? And this is in a democratic race. Um, so we're starting to see, you know, these things where it had shifted super progressive and now being with those groups or maybe a liability in 2022. So again, you know, nationally, you know, we're going to see a shift towards Republicans. We're not going to get a big red wave in California because we don't really get waves necessarily here in California, but the crime issue is definitely relevant and it's definitely moving back towards the middle. So, and, and, and again, we're seeing it play out in campaigns right now where Democrats are, are, you know, being hit or attacked for being in a defund position and the polling shows that it could work. You both have mentioned the national climate, which favors Republicans. 
within California, you've got crime issues, gas prices, a whole slew of issues that you would think the Republican Party would be able to use to maybe make some inroads. But neither of you seem to think that that's likely or possible. And perhaps a discussion as to why. Let's start with you, Rob. Well, it's the Republican Party still has a a national brand problem uh, in California. Uh, And that national brand problem includes a Republican, the Republican leader, which is from California. So uh, as much as there is the the president's unpopular in California, the vice president who's from here is unpopular in California, according to public polling we've we've all seen. Uh, So Californians are, are upset and anxious about all the issues that people are nationally when it comes to inflation. Um, they're disappointed with the president. Uh, you know, the, the withdrawal from Afghanistan it hurt this president deeply. That's all baked in here, too. But on top of that, crime and homelessness are off the charts in California. And that, particularly homelessness, is much more a unique California uh, dynamic. And then there's, you know, there's crime that comes off of uh, the, the homelessness issue as well, particularly the petty crime, as uh, we've seen proliferating, not just in the urban cores, but in the exurban and, and, so, and the suburbs. So, you know, what the, these are issues that um, lead to political earthquakes. However, you know, if, if the Republican um, endorsed candidate, Senator Dolly, is, is their nominee or in the runoff with, with Gavin Newsom, he'll, he'll be underfunded. He has no name ID. And he comes from the most rural part of the state with no context for addressing any of these issues. Uh, so I, I think Republicans have just stepped back from being able to be competitive because it just seems so far out of reach. Their donors don't believe that they can get there. Therefore, no one who would be a more qualified candidate really steps up to run. They, to me, the interesting path, real quick, and to just just full disclosure, I am the consultant to two non uh, no party preference candidates, independents. One running for attorney general, Anne Marie Schubert. One running for governor, Michael Schellenberger. Um, that to me is a more plausible path because both of those people poll very competitively in general elections. And in Schellenberger's case, he's left of center. Uh, virtually on all issues and becomes a very intriguing type candidate. He's largely unknown and there hasn't been a much independent expenditure effort behind him. So I don't know how that will go. But um, I, for the future of California politics, I think it comes from something more from the, the center than uh, seeing Republicans research. They don't seem capable of doing so. Josh? I think what Rob said makes exact sense, right? And but the challenge that we have, and, and I don't think it's bad that folks from the you know the no party preference or or potentially the way forward. But the challenge that we have is trying to figure out how to get people you know that aren't affiliated with a party through the primary system, right? So in California, we have an open primary, so you can vote for whichever candidate that you want. But as you know, we've seen in the recent past, people still think of it as a primary, right? So if you're a no party preference voter. You know, a lot of folks just think, oh, this isn't for me. You know, the Democrats go vote for the Democrat, the Republicans go vote for the Republican, right? So part of the strategy is, you know, how can we figure out, you know, to get folks that aren't affiliated with the party through the process so that they are in the general election? And I think that would be good for California. 
and frankly, you know, good for our electoral system. And but that's the challenge that we have. And I'm glad Rob and others like him are working on that because I think it's really important. So one one more question in that vein. I saw a poll recently which showed that the, I think the three most popular governors in the country are the Republican governors of deep blue states. I think in Maryland, Massachusetts, I want to say Vermont. It's Vermont. Yeah. Vermont. So why do you think it is that the California Republican Party can't sort of replicate that type of uh, success that, that that's occurred in those states? And I'll start with you, Josh. Well, I mean, California is just a unique place. I mean, we are, you know, we always want to be our own way. We want to do things our own way. I mean, we just think of ourselves differently. And so, you know, a model that works in other places doesn't necessarily apply here. I mean, we're 40 million folks. It's, it's just a gigantic state and it's very diverse. Um, and so, and frankly, we have a lot of Democrats here, the way the districts are cut up, you know, even it's just the districts aren't set up for Republicans to be successful, right? Um, and that's just kind of the reality of, of how it is. And so we have to find a different model in order to you know, bring balance back to our electoral politics here. You know, and I think that involves, you know, finding a way for candidates that are in the middle to to move forward, whether they're no party preference candidates, you know, whether they're Democrats that are more business minded. I mean, I think that's the challenge that we have to figure out in order to essentially moderate California and get it more back to the to the center, you know, where, frankly, most of the voters tend to be. Right. We just. You know, people in electoral land and professionals such as us, you know, create this divisive choice where you have to pick this extremist or the other extremist. And we have to figure out, you know, how do we move things towards the middle? And frankly, I know there's a lot of folks that are working on doing this in 2022 and 2024. You know, we've seen that as the challenge and we're, we're working towards that goal. So. Right. So, so part of the reason this hasn't happened in California is because it, it, it's kind of it's a little difficult to explain the scale of expense requires to, to win like that in California. So the states where that you've described that where this happens, Maryland, Massachusetts, Vermont, um, not super cheap states necessarily. There's some big media markets there, but nothing like what you'd have to do in California. So, you know, so which means you really have to get to a self-funder. So 12 years ago, we had that with Meg Whitman. I worked on that campaign, um, but she was also following a you know, the second term of a Republican governor and the state was ready to, to go back in what was a in, in that election cycle, go back to a, a Democrat governor um, who uh, was fairly moderate in a lot of ways, uh, Jerry Brown. So if someone like that comes along again, yeah, that, that could be interesting. But you have to be able to overwhelm in spending because it's not just about your own name ID. You have to beat back the tactic that we're not we've we'll seen employed by the front-running, well-funded Democrats this cycle and the last cycle, and frankly, even 20-some-odd years ago, where they take and elevate the unelectable Republican. So Gavin Newsom elevated John Cox four years ago to avoid a runoff with Antonio Villaraigosa by, quote-unquote, attacking him uh, with ads on Fox News, calling him pro-life, pro-gun. He's doing the exact thing right, thing right now with Brian Dolly. He's building Brian Dolly's name ID as a pro-life, pro-NRA to conservatives. So they know, oh, yeah, that's who we vote for. And then, you know, Dolly's top vote getter and the election essentially is over. Uh, Labor-backed groups are doing the same thing in the AG's, off, AG's race, backing a complete unelectable, you know, election conspiracy nut, Eric Early, who has virtually no money, uh, by attacking him in the same manner, because then their race is over. They don't have to worry about running against Anne-Marie Schubert or even Nathan Hockman, for that matter. 
So you have to have enough money if you're running for governor to overcome that type of tactic as well. So basically, yeah, you you need to be uh, independently wealthy and ready to burn 150, 200 million dollars, which just sounds absurd. And it kind of is, which is why it hasn't happened in 12 years. All right, thanks. So you both have mentioned, I think crime is one of the central issues, homelessness. What are the other issues that you think are moving voters in this season? Uh, I'll start with you, Rob. Well, uh, prices, uh, particularly street inflation. So food prices and in California, energy prices, there's an awareness in California that we pay more at the pump than you do in other states. And I, I think that is that is really motivating people. Gasoline is always a volatile issue. When it gets to a certain price, we drive by the prices <laughs> daily, many times a day. And then, you know, once a week, you have to stop and fill up your, that, that tank. And all of a sudden, you, you know, you're, you're looking at numbers on that gas pump that you've never seen before in your life. So these are very motivating. Um, I think food prices as well. Uh, and I, it, you know, I mean, I've seen numbers recently about wrong track in California where it's, you know, political earthquakes can really happen. And I, I do think inflation on top of the homelessness and crime uh, is a volatile cocktail. I just don't know if there's going to be any candidates that really benefit from it uh, that are that are anti that are not incumbents. Josh, anything you would add to those? Well, the other issue that I keep seeing pop in polls, you know, relates to this cost of housing, too. Right. So and access to housing, cost of housing. So that's. That's important one. I mean, I think the challenge there is it's such a large issue that folks don't necessarily believe that, you know, a different senator, state senator or assembly member is going to fix that problem, right? I mean, it's more, it feels more systemic at this point. So, Rob, would you agree with that with respect to housing? I, I agree. I agree. Housing, particularly rent. The, the, the tricky thing about housing on <laughs> housing prices politically is, you know, it's also how middle class builds its wealth traditionally in California. And so, uh, yeah, it, if you're trying to get access to the market, the run up in the last few years uh, is, is very discouraging and upsetting. If you're already in the market, um, you've accumulated a fair amount of, of wealth over those last few years. And so it, it makes it, 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 these are one of the factors that further complicates housing, I think, from a public policy perspective for for elected officials. Something which is unlikely to happen before the primary election, meaning a decision about Roe versus Wade. But let's say prior to the general election, um, a decision comes down. Do you see that impacting the election in any way uh, if there's a overruling of Roe versus Wade? And I'll start with you, Josh. I mean, I think we're sure to see folks on the left try to use this as a rallying call to boost turnout. And I think that, you know, the progressives on the Democratic side are concerned that, you know, this could be a very low turnout year. We have, you know, nothing particularly exciting on the ballot so far. You know, we know who's going to be reelected to be the governor. Um, you know, it kind of feels a little bit like 2014 did when um, Governor Brown was up for reelection. It was a really, really low turnout election. And low turnout elections can mean Republican wins, you know, in close races, right? Just because it's the Democrats that tend to surge you know, on higher turnouts, and then that drops off. So I think we're sure to see, you know, folks on the left use this as a, as a rallying cry to try and turn out their voters and, and keep turnout up in order to protect those competitive races. Rob, what do you think? Well, I, I agree with Josh. I mean, it, it will have an impact. How big an impact is a little difficult to bake in yet. Uh, 
Democrats need an issue to rally their base. As Josh said, the president's unpopular with young Democrat voters. The most pro-choice voters in the country are, are young voters. So, yeah, I, I agree. They could, they're going to try to use it for, for turnout, how well it works. We just don't know. You know, I talked to um, colleagues on both sides of the aisle and abortion has been this issue that um, no, no, no elected has ever had to worry about casting a vote on um, <laughs> over the last 50 yeah. years. So in some ways, we don't we don't quite know even how the voters might react to all of this. Uh, so th there's a lot that will will play out here, but it, it certainly is it certainly is a factor. Um, recently in San Francisco, we had a recall of the members of the school board, and there's currently a recall movement over their uh, let's say controversial district attorney. But let's. In terms of the recall effort, that the successful recall effort of the school board, how do you think that's had a has that had a broader impact? What kind of impact do you think that's had on statewide politics? And I'll start with you, Josh. Well, recalls are just really tricky. I mean, right? I mean, they're not necessarily a, a global thing. They're often very local, very localized issues. Um, so, I mean, I, I just I think school board and with COVID and and students and children, I think that's just kind of a, you know, it's just a pressure cooker there. So you're seeing that um, San Francisco is its own political environment. And then you mentioned, you know, recalls against district attorneys. And we're seeing that, you know, both in San Francisco, down in Los Angeles. And I think that speaks to Rob's point that, you know, crime is front and center on this electoral cycle, right? And this is kind of the shift back from, you know, very progressive, you know, what we would call social, with the social justice, you know, type criminal um, policies. And now you're seeing folks that are frankly, victims of crime and or knowing people that are victims of crime, we're seeing the shift back toward people rebelling against that and then rebelling who against who they think the policymakers are that put them in that situation. So, um, I, I mean, I don't see recalls kind of spilling over into the assembly or the Senate or other elected you know, offices on the state level. I think these are very specific examples driven by very, you know, specific situations and results. Thanks. Rob? Well, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, the school board... <laughs> I mean, there's I mean, there's a woke aspect there that's being there's backlash too, and it's coming from obviously very liberal voters in San Francisco. Uh, sure, I mean, other elected officials are taking note of that. Uh, with these DA recalls, we're seeing it uh, affect I think other locals. Uh, you know, the very progressive mayors of San Francisco and Oakland are making the point that they are in fact for funding the police. So. It's all having an impact on the on the political the political environment, and I you know we'll see. I think we'll see a recall qualify in Los Angeles, whether that election takes place in November or sometime thereafter. Um, DA Gascon appears to be in trouble as well, and you've got a you've got you know businessman billionaire mayor candidate down there, Rick Caruso, who's able to self fund and has you know vaulted himself into a into the lead uh, around all of these issues. Um, which a year ago, I, you know, I, I think I think people had troubles seeing um, Caruso getting all the way to the top of that pack. So, yeah, these 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 recalls have sent a message. I don't think I agree with Josh. I don't see, think you'll see a proliferation of them. Um, these two are are these two one recall and the prospective recall are sending the message that um, is intended. So are there any things we should be looking for on the primary election night that might be um, indicative of some sort of change or, or 
like are there particular races that might indicate some sort of uh <laughs> you know a break in the electorate or would be a particularly of importance on election night and i'll start with you josh well i'm gonna i'm gonna say one of rob's races i'm gonna say the attorney general's race i mean to me that's a it's a it's a great race. It's, you know, we have some great candidates that are running. Um, we have a no party preference candidate that's eminently qualified. And, um, you know, and I think should should make it to the November election. And the question is, you know, can she, right? Um, and so to me, I think that's just a test of, of, of the system, you know, and, and a strategy and trying to fix the system and help make it work. So for me, that's going to be the number one place I'm looking. Oh, that's interesting. Rob? So thank I agree, of course, with, with, with Josh's assessment on that race. I would watch uh, I would watch to see what Gavin Newsom's number is. I mean, he's running against um, a long list of candidates who really don't have much name ID. Um, you know, Brian Dolly's been endorsed and Newsom is elevating him. Uh, Mike Schellenberger, who I already you know, noted I'm working with, has, has garnered a lot of attention and a lot of earned media. Um, I think you know those two will probably vie for the second spot. But watch Newsom's number, and it'll be interesting if it if it hovers in the under forty five percent. It says something about I think the mood uh, of of the state. And then I already mentioned the LA LA mayor's race. Uh, absolutely keep an eye on that. And then also I would watch the sheriff's race in LA County. Very controversial sheriff there. Um, and if he if he survives, if he wins, and that'll be that's a June race. If he wins, it really says something about how people are prioritizing uh, law enforcement at the moment. Yeah, that would be interesting. You're right; he is a controversial <laughs> candidate. It'll be interesting to see if it's all over the map, though. <laughs> but <laughs> okay, um, a lot of our members are fairly active in terms of uh, voting. Uh, do you have any tips for how you think they can help energize and get their their own family, friends, clients, et cetera, energized to vote in the election? I'll start with you, Rob. Yeah, so a ballot like this is confusing um, because unless you live in Los Angeles or the San Francisco market where you're seeing recall ads, you don't even know, you didn't know there was an election. Uh, there's because once we moved ballot measures out of June and into November, we lost all the advertising volume that really alerts people to to elections. So these ballots have now arrived um, on on the on the ninth, or they were sent out on the ninth of of May, and people are opening them and they are seeing these long lists of names they had known nothing about for governor, uh, for United States Senate. Uh, Alex you know, Padilla, who's been appointed, is running for, for re-election. So his name ID isn't even all that high. And then there's, I think there's 20 some odd names on there for U.S. Senate. So it's very confusing and bewildering. So the best thing, frankly, you can do to help people is, is do the research to help them answer the questions about who, who, one, who are the top candidates, who can be ignored, and then, you know, be able to share information about those candidates. I, I think family and friends would find that very helpful because to most Californians, this is a bewildering uh, ballot. Josh? Well, I think that's great advice. I mean, and I think realtors obviously are well positioned to provide that advice. I mean, we have, you know, the realtor party. I'm a big fan of it. You know, often get involved in, in races where I'm active in and it's, it's always a good help. So I think, you know, you're, it's, it's nonpartisan. It's just a rational approach to making California better. So I think, you know, your members are great messengers along that front. So if they're able to 
give people a reason. You know, I mean, I have friends reach out to me and say, okay, give me your slate. Who should I be voting for? So, I mean, if the realtor members are out there doing that, I think that's a great help to, you know, to all California. And in that realtor party vein, I'm wearing a purple tie, by the way. So just to, <laughs> just to be clear. Um, Perfect. So uh, just in, in uh, conclusion, uh, Josh, any final thoughts about the California political scene you want to share? No, I mean, just being active and being involved and getting out and voting are critical, right? So we need, you know, folks that are, that are, you know, want California to succeed or middle of the road, understand that we need moderate voices in Sacramento. We need to mobilize them and get them out. Um, so, you know, please, please do that. Please get your members to, to play that role. It's very, it's very important. So. And Rob? Well, I would echo, I would echo that. There's um, those that are mindful of business, I think have a oversized voice in the, in this election that we're, is underway right now. I think engagement is low, means turnout could be lower. Everyone does have a ballot at home, but you know, once it's lost, it's lost. So you know, those that are paying attention are informed and, and are uh, recruiting people to vote you know, can be more influential than they, they may be in other elections. All right. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Josh. This has been uh, really great. I think our members are gonna really enjoy your insights. And thank you again for being with us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Disclaimer. The purpose of this podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors, CAR, is to provide general and educational information and opinions from a wide range of perspectives regarding politics, voting, elections, legislative issues, and more. The opinions, beliefs, and views expressed by guests or participants of this podcast are solely their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions, beliefs, or views of CAR, its affiliates, their respective directors, officers, or employees. Reference to any individual or entity does not constitute an endorsement, recommendation, or any other position or opinion regarding that entity or individual by CAR. This podcast does not constitute professional advice or services of any kind. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast.